people you know. We'll talk about her new film, Show Her the Money, which is about how women are getting less than 2% of venture capital funding for things like inventions. Often, these inventions are huge hits because who would know better what a woman could use than another woman? We'll talk about Toluca Lake, her amazing cats, and an upcoming documentary series she's working on about a small group of people who have telepathy, which she has documented. So let's welcome Kai Dickens. Hey everybody, I am here in Toluca Lake with Kai Dickens. Yay! Yay. <laughs> Thank you for inviting me to your beautiful home. Of course, it's a pleasure to have you. Sometimes I have people, I mean, a lot of my guests are strangers to me, mm -hmm. and so they'd rather come to my little courtyard, uh -huh. but I love being in people's houses because you get to see... Well, I mean, every house in LA is just so different. So different. And so you're, I love this tile on your fireplace and these wood floors we were just talking about. And Thank you. My trademark is tiling fireplaces. I think it looks it so is? cool. Yes. I leave a trail of fireplaces behind me. I'm talking to you in part because we share a mutual friend, Steve Rohr. We sure do. Who uh, I worked with at the Academy. And um, it was kind of like this time of year where they would hire the the big guns like him mm -hmm. to come in and um and make the oscars amazing and so you are a film director correct i made this podcast to kind of dispel a lot of the myths about la and one of the, one of my goals was not to have people in the industry because the myth is is that everybody is in hollywood right no matter what neighborhood you're in which we know is not true correct. but there's all these exceptions and I made the exception for you because you're a documentary filmmaker and I feel like, um, you guys never get love. <laughs> yeah, that's right. True. Yes. Like who's the most famous, uh, documentary filmmaker of the 21st century? Yeah. I mean, there really isn't that many. Dan Burns probably. There you go. That's <laughs> yeah. a good one. Yeah. That's a really good one. And so, but, but especially women, like right. how many female yeah. ones are there? And so, yeah, I mean, we live in a world that's not the entertainment world for the most part, right? I mean, I think, and that's the part that most documentary filmmakers dislike. I think we love being in the field, working with real people, getting real stories. You're usually nowhere near LA. You're traveling to the, wherever the story's at. And often you are hunkered down there for a long time. And it feels more like journalism and emotional intelligence and often like deep issue oriented activist work. Mm-hmm. So, and then there's that part where you're like releasing the film and getting it out. But yeah, it, it's so far removed from what like the actors and, you know, hair and makeup and all the other elements of film that we don't really have. And your budgets are a fraction. Yes. Of, yeah. Usually. So for, if, if you don't mind, mm -hmm. and, if, and if there's any question you don't like, just wave your hand and I'll edit it out. Yeah. What was the biggest budget you've had so far in one of your films? To this point, I've only done features and I'm in development on a docu-series. So that's going to be a much bigger budget. But mm -hmm. I think that like Show Her the Money, um, which we just got finished, right, you know, that's on the circuit right now. That film has raised over a million dollars, you know, mm -hmm. for production, for marketing, for the impact campaign. So that's been great to, to see what you can do with that, right? That yeah. you can have a huge uh, marketing campaign around like right now the Show Her, uh, I mean, the For Your Consideration campaign. It kind of changes the game. Are there billboards? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where are they at? Uh, there's one actually on Riverside and Lancashire, so you could see it on your way out of town. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> on your way out to Luke Lake. That's a great intersection. Yeah, it's a huge. It's 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 a big billboard. It's a very visible billboard. So it's fun. I mean, it's just it's awesome to drive by and see your name on a. Did billboard. you take a selfie with it? Of course. Yeah. All right, good. <laughs> <laughs> so so for docs, you would say that if you do get a. a a big budget. I would, I'd consider that a big yeah, budget, wouldn't yeah, you? Yeah. Most of it's going to marketing? Um, I think a lot of it's going to travel. Uh-huh. And a ton of the documentary work is done in post, right? I mean, you were telling the story. You don't have a script. So you, I always have an outline. I kind of have a loose paper edit of where I want things to go based on the questions I'm asking. But that editorial process takes a long time. Um, mm -hmm. So a lot's going to post. A lot's going to the travel of, you know, just the repetitiveness of being with subjects like for a film right you might go shoot a feature film in three weeks two weeks and be done for a documentary mm -hmm. you're often f shooting for a year or two wow so it's a lot of travel is this your your post uh, desk over here no mine i have an office <laughs> over there where yeah i've got my editing bay <laughs> do you enjoy um doing the editing yourself 
I I work with editors. I, I started out as an editor, so I love editing, and that I think helps as a director, period. Mm-hmm. But I work with editors now because it's such a huge process. So usually they're in their editing bay, and right. you know we spend a lot of time together. And you're looking over the shoulder, and you're saying... Yeah, it's, it's a bit of a different process. Often I kind of send my outlines for the scenes. Like, this is what I want to start with, and here's my uh, selects of lines that I like. And then they usually start to build scene blocks and send those to me. And once we kind of have a lot of our scene blocks built, then we'll start to put that into the puzzle, right? Like we'll lay it out into a sequence. So a lot of the work they can do by themselves, where it becomes really intense is kind of toward the end, once we're really hammering in like the look, the feel, these like little micro edits. Um, But the first part of the process, you can kind of do remotely now, which is so great. How many docs have you done so far? Because you're a young woman. <laughs> Thank you. I've done five feature docs, uh-huh. and then um, I've done four shorts. And like I said, I'm in development on a docu series right now. So, what's the docu series about? Um, or can if you can't tell? Yeah, it, it's a little bit. Uh, it's about people, non-speakers with autism, who have telepathy and other extreme gifts that the telepathy? world doesn't know about. Yeah. Yeah, and it's really widespread. It's fascinating. It's and yeah. different from a lot of the work I've ever done because a lot of it is social issue oriented. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm trying to help with like LGBTQ rights or with getting paid family medical leave or getting healthcare for all. And I, I had a friend die, you know, a few years ago, and it kind of made me think like I really want to start like asking the bigger questions in my work. If I can just spend five years, maybe I'll figure out what I believe and what I think about. And it kind of changed for a minute what I was reading and what I was listening to. And I heard this podcast with a neuroscientist who, you know, was uh, educated at Harvard, Johns Hopkins, brilliant woman. Um, and she had been working with non-speakers with autism. So this is not about autism. This is about people who really can't speak or, you know, have lost that sense, but are completely in there. They're bright, brilliant people. Often they just can't get out because speaking is a fine motor skill. Pointing with a letter board is a gross motor skill. And often these kids learn to point with, you know, with, um, and and learn to to communicate via the letter board. However, a lot of parents were starting to, you know, report to to this doctor that their kids would freak out and hold their head if they if the mom or dad had a headache or if they think about where they hid the Halloween candy, their kids would go get it. Stuff like this. Well, anyway, once she she found some non-speakers who'd learned to communicate via the letter board because they were taught what, you know, the blanket for, term for that is spelling. Um a lot of these kids would say, mom, I can read your mind. Dad, I could read your mind. So this neuroscientist started studying that with multiple cameras, would put a screen between the parent and the child, would show the parent made up words, fake words, an image, and the child could tell you and spell out exactly what the parent was looking at. So I, it was very hard for me to believe I'm a science nerd. I mean, I'm a nonfiction storyteller. I pretty much only read like nonfiction, went and watched the first time and and brought all my own cues. I brought the iPad. I bought a new iPad. I put my own random number generator on it. I brought books about my father-in-law who has since passed away, but that, you know, that he wrote that no one would have. I'd flip to a page in the book and the child could say what was in the picture that I was looking at. You could point to a word on the book. You could write a word, scratch it out, write a new word. And I've now documented this in every culture, in America, in India, in England, Pakistan, Mexico, we have subjects from all over the world. And the parents who know this, it's pretty widespread. It's just no one believes them. No one's ever believed them. And it's a hard thing to believe. But this is what I will say about this, is that what I realized is it's not paranormal, it's normal. It's just that our paradigm is wrong. Like we have started to believe as a society that consciousness begins and ends in our brain. That's it. There's nothing more than that. And what these kids have taught me is no, consciousness extends outside of the body. How and why, I don't know, but it does. And once you can start to, once you see with your own eyes that the telepathy is happening, then it really makes you question everything else and makes everything else seem possible. But like our crews, like my DP, who I love dearly, he's a Chicagoan, just like (laughs) you and me. And you know, he's like an agnostic atheist. I love him because we're a little bit different. Like I always want to believe and he never wants to believe. And he was on these first shoots and was like taking down the mirrors and let's get rid of all TVs. Like, what are they seeing? How are they doing this? Once every reflective surface was out of there, once the kids were blindfolded, I mean, then he was like, oh my gosh, this is happening. 
he was so shaken up after the first shoot. And then the, the day after that shoot, he was like already talking himself out about how he didn't see what he saw. Then we went to New Jersey and it happened again. And at that point, I walked into the battery room where he was charging batteries and I saw him like on the couch, head in his hands. And he's like, what does this mean? He's like, do I have to believe we have a soul? Is there a God? Like, what does this mean? And I was like, exactly. So now he's like a complete, and all the crew, I mean, some of the crew have stopped working in their field and started to work with the population of non-speakers with autism because they were so moved. Like, wow, these kids have abilities we don't have. They don't have a disability. There's a lot of efficacy involved, and I don't think people realize this, but it's really true that the second someone starts doubting them, they won't do it. And we've had people in the room when we're filming who are like, oh, there has to be this, just sending out the negative thoughts, which the kids can hear. Right. And I've had to ask people to leave, and then all of a sudden the kids are flying again and doing it. And they're never wrong. It's not like, oh, they're wrong 50% of the time. It's statistically relevant. It's 100% of the time. They don't miss. So that's what's so fun about the docu-series is every time we've gone and filmed, it's easy to prove. In fact, like as we get ready to pitch it, I'm like, should we just, you know, but you have to be careful because, you know, the kids are very sensitive to noises, to light. So it's like protecting them, yeah, um, making sure they're not exploited, but also, you know, these families really want to get this out there that it's happening. It's real. And these kids should not be dismissed by society and treated like just completely ignored and disenfranchised. Right. I, I have now so many questions. <laughs> Can we use this in our military? Like, are these kids going to be kidnapped for other militaries? Like, gosh, like, they could be ab- abused in a way yeah. or like totally championed. Right? right. It's so interesting that you say that. And because as part of the research, there's a book by Annie Jacobson called Phenomena, which is not about the UFO stuff. It's about um, the declassified CIA program that happened in America for a long time around ESP and remote viewing and that type of thing. It's rich, it's dense, it's so well-researched, it's got a huge appendix, which I always appreciate. <laughs> and, um, and we've done this. I mean, we've done this, Russia's done it, China's done it. Like, there's a, an ESP race kind of going on between superpowers. Is it really? That's real, yeah. And, like, we say that we ended ours 20 years ago, but, you know, I've talked to people inside that are like, we haven't, we haven't, we're right. still using this because it works. However, um, it is a concern with the families of how do we protect these kids. Yeah. One thing I will say there's three things I will say about that. One is that I have not met a non-speaker who is not <laughs> elevated in their morality in a way that most of us are, and they are wanting to use their gifts for good. You know, they don't want to go pursue money, you know? So great. And then I think the other thing, too, is could they? Sh- sure, you know, but but they're not going to perform and do this, I think, without someone that they love nearby and they need a communication partner to use the letter board. Like you, and you have to train and work with them to get there. Oh. And that is key. So, so the non-speakers alone won't do it without a trusted communication partner. I am so glad that I broke my rule. Mm-hmm. Cause okay. So have you already sold this pitch? No, I'm working with radical media. Who's great. Like they are amazing. And we are into, you know, I've been kind of like rewriting and writing the episodes. Then the strikes happened Oh, right. And it put everything on a black burner. And I thought, oh, nonfiction will have a great time the way it happened in 2008 when the strikes happened. And mm-hmm. that was not the case. The studios, I think, just kind of sat on their hands waiting, you know, closed their pocketbooks, waited to see what happened. Yeah. So I think we'll start pitching it in January. Um, I feel very confident it's going to get picked up. Sure. I, I, I just believe it more than I've ever believed anything. Can two of these people talk to each other through telepathy? Yep, that's episode two. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So yeah. Did you, are you a, a believer in God before all of this? How were you raised? I was raised interesting because my mom, you know, is like, was born in Sweden. She's a Lutheran, oh. you know, Swedish Lutheran. My dad is a scientist at heart and I, my mom would take us to church and I'd come home and my dad would be like, we're from monkeys, you know? So I had a 50, 50 upbringing. <laughs> Which I think is good. It's awesome. Because then as an adult, you can really choose. You can really choose. So what did you choose? Um, I completely believe in God. Great. And the afterlife. And I believe consciousness um, survives the body. But I feel like because of this project, I have proof of that. I have proof of that. There's no way I couldn't believe that after what I've seen. Because, you know, and again, like I don't want to get too far into this because I want the show to explain yep. it. But once yep. the non-speakers... It's easy to prove the telepathy is happening. Once you see that, you ch- but the, the, they, they talk about way more than that. One of the young men in our show 
who's a, amazing and he passed away actually last month and mm. he was 18 but a lot of the non-speakers who I've been communicating with since then and their parents have been telling me that he still communicates with them just as much as they ever have. And I think one thing that is, you know, you can't ever put a broad, broad swipe over autism, but one thing I will say about all of the people I know with autism is they're very authentic. Yeah. There's no, um, <laughs> there's not a lot of uh, fake outs and dishonesty and manipulation. Yeah. And the non-speakers have no reason to all say, be saying they're seeing this young man. There's no reason. And, and that uh, everything has just corroborated over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I have proof of the soul now. Do you think this is a reflection of God? Do you think this is a gift that, that God gave to these people? It's a great question. I think that things like ESP and telepathy have always been a part of humanity and the animal kingdom. I mean, you think of hive mind with bees. They they know what they're doing, and sometimes it seems like they're sharing a consciousness. Schools of fish that can move as one, birds who can move as one. Um, you know, they've studied all sorts of animals that seem to be able to speak from far distances, and we can't explain why. Um, and as far as human beings go, there's been a lot of research in this, and it gets disregarded and dismissed because science and academia and our culture at large is so entrenched in materialism the idea that matters only what you can see and feel and same with consciousness it comes with the brain mm -hmm. so where this has left me and i think it has left a lot of people who who look at it and have spent time with it some of the researchers we're working with too who are biologists neuroscientists from harvard from cambridge i mean they're bright bright people there's either two options. One is that consciousness is kind of a signal coming to us from somewhere else. So if you think about our brain as being like a smartphone, right? Like depending on what apps you have, you can use it differently. If your phone breaks, the signal won't work very well. You're you're not going to whatever, but like but um but if your phone breaks, it doesn't mean the signal goes away. So right. that's one way to think of it, right? Is like our brains are more like a TV or a cell phone and the consciousness is a signal. Um Another way to think of it is, yes, that we have like a soul that that doesn't need a body that is able to communicate without a body and or, and possibly both are correct. But I think those are kind of the two camps where people end up once you realize this so is happening. So we don't need the body, but it's it's helpful. It's helpful. Yeah. We can we can make tile uh, fireplaces. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yes. We can do stuff. We can do stuff with the body. Yeah. So, so the body is a tool. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a not very the helpful tool. Thing. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's all the stuff about elevated consciousness. Like, where does it come from? How does it work? How does it go on? But what I would, if any listener out there's ears are perked up, just start reading. Once you start going down this path, like I was not sure if life continued at all. I was not sure about any of it five years ago. And now I'm completely certain like a great book to read is surviving death. Um, that's a wonderful book to read. This phenomenon about the CIA declassified files is a great book to read. Um, it, there's a lot of books out there. I'm happy to <laughs> suggest to people. I look forward to you releasing this and getting to talk about this. Thank you. It's called signal. Hope live over here? Yeah, yeah. He, I think he was on the Burbank side. You know, Toluca Lake is kind of uh, half Burbank, half LA. Um, yes, and Bob Hope was over here. You, Big, huge. His you, house was just up for sale. Oh, that's right. Yeah, it's gigantic. Yeah. Now, you've only lived in California for six years. Mm -hmm. What made you choose this neighborhood? Well, I love the valley. And I think coming from, you know, being born and raised in the Midwest in Chicago, my wife is from Minnesota. I mean, I never, I always wanted to live in LA, but I just kind of just assumed you'd be in traffic the whole time and that yards would be small. I don't know what I thought. I just didn't think what, you know, I, I had no idea. Yeah. And when looking for houses and I was all in like East LA, I have a lot of friends in like, you know, Los Feliz and Helen Park and Eagle Rock and Glassell Park. And that's where I was looking, Mount Washington. Then at some point I came over to the valley and I was just like, oh my gosh. I mean, these big yards and like sidewalks and, you know, in a lot of areas, walkable neighborhoods. We could walk to Trader Joe's and walk to all the restaurants. And 
I was just in love with it. It was like a wide out, wide spread out, beautiful, like suburbia meets super progressive, creative. I mean, the studios are right here. You've yeah. got like Universal, Disney, um, Warner Brothers. And I just love this area of LA so much. It's, it's, it's not at all what we see on TV about LA. No, it's not. Like even like Toluca Lake, Burbank, like a lot of, you know, this area of LA right around Thanksgiving, I mean, uh, <laughs> Halloween is bonkers. They close down the streets. People decorate like you would not believe. I mean, huge themes, Pirates of the Caribbean or, <laughs> you know, like the entire Emerald City with Wizard of Oz and an electric bill that probably costs more than the house. I mean, <laughs> the amount of like fun and festivity that people put into Halloween to the holidays over here. Again, like I said, closing down the streets. It's just, it feels kind of magical and it feels suburban, but with a cool edge. It doesn't feel like yeah. where you and I grew up, like the suburbs of Chicago suburban, you know, right. it feels just really cool because a lot of creative people enjoying the space, their yards, their kids, you know. I mean, one of the things I enjoy most, so I also direct TV commercials, you know, and that, that makes the money, honestly. Oh, does it? <laughs> yeah. Um, and one of the things that's so fun is location scouting. Like, I was on a location scout yesterday for a Pillsbury job that's coming up. <laughs> and we were everywhere, right? Like, we were on the west side, and it was, like, a different temperature. Like, we were down in, like, Venice in Santa Monica, and it was 20 degrees colder, and it was gray, and it was, like, super windy. And then we went to Encino, which, like, huge but gigantic, you know, streets and gigantic houses and Studio City that had these unassuming houses, right? Where you're like walking by and it, oh, that's just like a tiny ranch. And you walk in, it's not. It's this gigantic, you know, behemoth of a house. <laughs> and there's just so many fun neighborhoods. And I love that you can be like in the mountains, like really in the mountains, like yeah. in Mount Washington and stuff where you walk out and there's like paths and stairs you can climb and do exercises on. And it's, it's just a dream because you have every type of different feel that you could ever want, I think, mm -hmm. in L.A. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's I, – I love Los Angeles. And I think when my friends from Chicago are like, do you like it? Like, are people all this and that? And everyone I've met has been really grounded and awesome and wonderful. And I think, sure, like, you could go find, like, plasticky people in any any city in America but what I have found is that creative people tend to be very sensitive very thoughtful very enjoyable mm -hmm. not everyone here is in the industry but most people are touched by it in some way for sure um and and that like I said like there's areas all around LA where you, you're gonna find every diversity that you would have anywhere else mm -hmm. and even economic diversity as well and mm -hmm. and I, I just I hate the myths that Midwesterners tell themselves about Los Angeles because I absolutely love it. I wish I would have moved out here 15 years ago. Really? I miss my friends. I mean, I, the best friends, best people in the world are in yeah. Chicago, in my opinion. But um, yeah, it's just like the best life. And like we have a nine-year-old and a four-year-old. We walk them to school every day. You know, it's just, we know all the little people. We go to the public school and you know everyone in the neighborhood. And it's just dreamy it feels like the, the 50s kind of in a, and not in a creepy bad you know right. white supremacy way but like <laughs> just in a way that people still care about their neighbors well in the 50s i'm not sure that two moms could that's true too and raise kids uh, that is 100 percent true so we've come a long way yes we have so we can have like the charm of the 50s yes but the progressiveness of the 20 post obama four yeah exactly <laughs> yeah um can we talk about that? About, sure. About marrying a, a woman in the Midwest? Yeah. Because on your bio, beautiful website, by uh -huh, the way. Thank you. On your bio, um, when it said you have a wife and two kids, mm -hmm. I was like, oh, she met a nice surfer girl mm -hmm. in LA. Yeah. <laughs> but you guys met in the Midwest. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. How is it different being um, uh, a lesbian in the Midwest compared to in LA? I I don't know if there is much of a difference. I mean, Chicago is a huge like LGBTQ scene, and so, I mean it's vibrant, it's awesome. There's so many parties, um, uh, everything you could possibly want in Chicago, and I think in a lot of cities now. You know, yeah. I think the bigger thing was both of us came out, you know, 20 years ago, and that was a different ball game. You know, it was hard coming out to our parents. Yes. Um, well, I ask because of this. So I'm mm -hmm. I just turned 57. Mm -hmm. You look great, by the way. Thank wow, you. you look like you're like 30. God bless you. I cannot believe that. It's the weed. I cannot believe that. Do you smoke a little every night? You look awesome. Thank you. When I was in high school, nobody came out. Yeah. I mean, this is the suburbs of Illinois in the mm -hmm. 80s. 
But I feel like today is so much different. It's so much different. That even like trans kids are like the kings of the school a little bit. And For protected. sure. For sure. I mean, this is, I think, I think coming out back then was a different story. And I also think that the more that people have come out, like just the more diversity in like the dating pool. And there's so many people that are different, you know? And I, so I think Chicago is a very vibrant LGBTQ scene. Um, there's so many people that are out in LA and, yeah. you know, but the, the generation is different. And what's funny is the kids are so wonderfully progressive now. For instance, like at dinner, sometimes we'll do roses and thorns where you talk about the good parts of your day and bad parts. And oh. we, I forgot which of my kids brought something up, but I said, you know, one day if you choose to get married, your husband or your wife, and before I could continue, my daughter jumped in and she's like, why did you say that? You should say spouse. They could be non-binary or, you know, and I was like, that is absolutely correct. Thank you so much Nine for correcting old. me. Nine, Yeah. And her, one of her best friends uh, identifies as non-binary. One of them is identifies as lesbian, and and it's they are just they just roll with it. And I've seen that with our kids too. When you grow up with different, I you know a different look of what like love is. Our kids are so um, comfortable and supportive talking about all that. They know exactly how you make a baby, not in terms of like intercourse, but they understand that like you need a sperm and an egg. And if you don't have a sperm, you can go borrow one from a donor. And if you don't have an egg, you can find an egg donor. Like they understand those rudimentary blocks. And to them, that's just like t- typical. They learn that at three. Yeah. We talk about the donor. At three. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe even at two. I really hope that there's bigots listening to this. Yeah. <laughs> because it's so funny. I don't have kids. Yeah. But my friends who do yeah very politely say never tell a parent what to do with their kids like that's like there's a, there's a giant wall there yeah yeah but these people have no problem telling you that you're not supposed to have kids or yeah. that you can't teach your kids about human sexuality at a young age yeah why, i mean why is it that that's the exception i mean and it's not even i don't think for our kids, we aren't talking to them about sexuality. They're not ready to hear about sexuality. They're hearing about love. They get that. They understand that like their moms fell in love and that we wanted a family and that the, the, the building box of our family didn't have a sperm, so we needed a donor. Like they understand that. And that feels just as normal as anything to them. Um, you know, but yes, you have to take things when it's ready. And like, I, I think the big problem, especially with how people will respond in a very reactionary way to LGBTQ parents is they think that it's about sex and it's not, it's about love. It's about attraction. It's about building family blocks. Like my, like Kaisa, my wife's mom just came in for Thanksgiving. You know, my mom is having us all over for birthday dinner tomorrow. It's just like a one big normal blended family. And we're mommy and mama and everyone in our family is embracing and supportive. And it's just as normal as can be to our kids, even their friends at the elementary schools. Uh, nearby I mean um so mommy and mama mm-hmm. I love that yeah and you know sometimes like the I will tell a story because one thing that I have realized is parents can be super progressive but sometimes they don't tell their kids yet how to be radically inclusive or what the world consists of and that could be anything right um and there was a time where my daughter came home really upset from school and uh, you know when we were lying in bed and I'm like will you tell me what's going on and she's like well they handed out a family tree and it had mommy and daddy on the top of each thing and and I was like okay I can see why that would upset you and she's like no what really upsets me is now I have to go and tell the teacher she's wrong and that makes me feel bad and me feel stupid and I wish the teacher I didn't have to correct the teacher and we kind of got into a conversation. I said, how many times a day do you feel like you have to correct people? And she's like, every day usually. And then I realized, oh, she doesn't know about the concept of coming out. And my kid has to do it too. So then I told her, I was like, you know what? We have a word for this. And when LGBTQ people ha- come out, it's when you decide to reveal that you're gay. I was like, have you ever heard me just say my spouse? And she said, yeah. And I was like, it's because I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to tell the plumber that day. And... <laughs> And I was like, in just the same way, sometimes you might just say your parents. And that could just be, we don't want to deal with it that day. And I was like, you get to choose who you tell and when. I was like, of course, I want you to be so proud of your moms. I want you to feel so proud of your family. And she's like, I am, I am. I love you guys so much, you know. And I'm like, I know you are. But like, if you just don't want to deal with it or you don't want to get into the questions, we have words for that. And it's called coming out or coding. And you can decide how you do it. And putting that name on it for her is really helpful, I think. Yeah. Um, 
you know, and sometimes she'll say, you know, I'll tell people on a need to know basis, not that she's ashamed again. It's just, and most of her good friends know, it's just like, if she's going to drama camp, does she want to invite like all that stuff? Um, but you know, then I, my son is just like so excited to have two moms. He goes and tells everyone. He's always like, I've got two moms. Ha, you have one, you know, and he's a total mama's boy. He loves it. And so you know, and he wrestles with us and we get on the floor and we do all the, you know, it's like, he's like super, he's like the, he's as, as stereotypical boy, boys you could be. It's dinosaurs, it's trucks, it's monster trucks, it's wrestling. It's, you know, we want, we, there's no guns or swords in our house, but he'll make them and war, war, war. And it's like, what is happening? You know, what is happening? But at the same time, he'll play with Barbies and, you know, I don't, we just try to create a safe palette and love them. And at the end of the day, that's all that matters. telling me that your father-in-law mm-hmm. was a Republican politician. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you guys have a, a wedding wedding? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And was- he demanded that we had a minister there, which I was fine with. Like, I've always been a person of faith. You know, my wife has had been scarred from like a Bible camp she went to when she was little. <laughs> but we did that because it was really important to him, you know. So yeah. we were like, yes, we will have an Episcopalian minister. And we had to go through that like pre-marriage thing where you ask questions about money. I forgot what it's called. There's some word for it in the church where you find out do you have the same thoughts on money, on raising kids, on on your values, on taking care of your aging parents. And we did. We had the same uh, values on all of it. Yeah. But we had to do those little classes and it was great. So was he was he cool about it? Did he love it? Did he tolerate it? Yeah. I mean, this is what I want to say about my father-in-law, Steve Dill. And he was a Republican senator and congressman in the state of Minnesota for years. State senator? A state senator, yeah. That's awesome. Um, he was the last of what I consider the like best type of politician in that no matter what the party said, he would just get along with a good idea. And so many of my films prior to show her the money, the one that I have out right now had been about pretty progressive issues like paid family leave for every American, you know, uh, healthcare, making it more accessible or even universal, you know, um, <laughs> my first film fish out of water was what the Bible was, what uh, was about what the Bible said about homosexuality. So wait a second. What was that called? Fish out of water. Where can I see that? I can send it to you. I think it's on, actually, I know it's on Vimeo. It might be even on okay. YouTube now. It was on Netflix originally. And then Netflix expunged their older movies. How does that make any sense? I know because it, it was released on Netflix in 2009, but it's called fish out of water. But I know the distributor, um, first run features has it up on Vimeo where you can rent it there. They have it's like a Vimeo. Netflix wants people to subscribe. <laughs> they have these movies. Do they not own the rights anymore? No, movie? it's just that it was an older film, like Fish Out of Water, when I made that in 2009, was 4-3, you know, ratio. <laughs> and I think they were getting just, they wanted to, like, modernize their oh. slate. So a lot of their older movies let they let go of off the platform. I just saw Saltburn. Have you okay, seen this one uh-uh. yet? Mm-mm. One of my favorite movies of the year. Okay, I'll check it out. Um, I think that was in a strange aspect ratio too. It might have been. Yeah, I haven't seen it. It wasn't. It wasn't sixteen by nine. Okay. Yeah. It was. It was odd. Nobody cares. Right. I mean, people. A movie's a movie. It's a movie, and and that movie was such a helpful tool to people. But you know what I will say is that he he was wonderful because like when Kaisa came out, he he went from a platform of like a man, you know, marriage should be between a man and a woman to I think revamping it because he knew and loved his daughter and knew she wasn't you know some spawn of Satan <laughs> which is at the time they were making gay people out to be yeah. and he I had showed him my movie Fish Out of Water and then he became a huge advocate for marriage equality and was like this is going to be helpful for for families for raising children for financial and health and wellness of a family unit and of society at large like he became a huge advocate um, for marriage equality and he just would get on board with any issue if it made sense. And I think that's where we've lost our way in politics yes. is we're not even making sensible decisions. Right. It's all entrenched with money and yeah. corporate interests. Which, which is, I still can't believe because guns, for example, mm-hmm. th- we see all these school shootings and I want to believe that these Republican politicians give a shit about their kids or about the environment. 
you know, they won't do anything about global warming or any of that kind of stuff too. And so it's like, how much money do you need before you start actually caring about your kid's future? I know. So that's the part that, that, that I'm still stuck on. Like, is there enough money for these people? I feel like it's not about them getting money. I think it's them keeping their job. These people are bankrolling their campaigns, right? right. So it's like this threat of you'll be thrown out of office. We won't fund your campaign. Yeah. And they don't want to lose their job. And it is. I feel like there should be term limits. So that's not a thing. And more than two parties. Right. But, but I'm even thinking about like the older politicians. Mm-hmm. So like Mitt Romney, who I think is closer to yeah. your father-in-law yeah. than most. Yeah. Isn't it time for him to say what he really believes in? Especially as this like Mormon Christian guy. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and I feel like he has at times. Like I feel like he's yeah. come out like and been like, yes, we should have some like sensible gun laws. Yes, we should care about the environment. Yeah. You know, yes, Trump is not telling you the truth about things. Like he has been awesome at times. So mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I feel like integrity is everything. I can't imagine ever making a choice about based on money versus my ethics. Right. I just can't. Um, Especially when you're already rich. Right. And you yeah. have this great legacy, relatively good legacy. Yeah. And, and you're old as hell. Like, now is the time. Yeah, <laughs> I know. But they hardly ever do it. No, they hardly ever do it. And so that's a part of human nature that I am so interested in. Yeah. Because I can understand greed, mm-hmm. but after a while, doesn't it fade away? Don't you realize that it doesn't give you happiness? You would think so. And I think their legacy will be harmed. I mean, this is mm-hmm. a huge moment for what we do about the environment. Like yeah. this is the, the most like critical period of time facing humanity. Like truly will we continue? Yeah. And they're not doing anything about it. Nope. You know? Nope. I, and, and punishing those who protested yeah, about it. Yeah. You know, these people who are, who are ruining these great works of art, mm-hmm. or at least the frames of the great... Mm-hmm. The, the, mm-hmm. I think that's pretty punk rock. It is punk rock. It's, yeah. Fish Out of Water is my first documentary ever. My fifth one that just came out, I need to just plug this, is called Show Her the Money, is about how only 2% of investment funds go to women. So 98% of all like venture capital funds go to men. So if you can imagine like a behind the scenes of Shark Tank about women founders trying to get their inventions funded and why this is a huge problem, such a huge disparity. Do women have good inventions? Yeah. I mean, (laughs) incredible. Uh, So so these VCs want to make money though, right? Of course. Yeah. But they just, in their, are they blinded? They're, well, yeah, but the, that's one of the really fun things about our film is we follow some women who've started their own VCs because there's a ton of quote unquote white space there, right? Like no one has um, put out the thing that's going to, you know, stop hot flashes or the, you know, one of the founders that I was casting for this, but it didn't end up in the film, uh, was creating, she would take the ashes of a loved one and turn it into a diamond. I mean, that's kind of a cool idea. Yeah. I mean, really cool ideas. Canned wine, like we follow that in the film, you know, like, <laughs> you know, just really fun, uh, but also great ideas that make money. And these right. venture capital firms that are investing in women are making buco bucks because yeah. women can make a $10,000 check stretch a lot more than men can because they've had to they've had to learn to do it so in many ways they make better founders than a similarly situated man because they've had to become Mm. excellent um so that's coming out that's coming out very excited yeah so fish out of water my first one it looks at the the seven clobber passages that have been historically utilized clobber Mm -hmm. that's what they're called the clobber passages which which have been used to clobber lgbtq people for being gay And what that film does is it deconstructs each of the Bible verses and shows their historical context. So like that passage in Leviticus, yeah, like when we get into that particular passage in the film, we look at how the fact, it also says you can't wear clothes of two different types of material. You can't eat shellfish. You know, you can't plant two types of crops in the same field. We're not paying attention to any of that. So why are we paying attention to the one that says a man should not lay with another man? Yeah. Um, And, And why do you think that is? Why do I think that, I think ever the Bible historically, and I want to really separate something here. I think spirituality is very different from often organized religion. Yep. And organized religion throughout history has needed a victim 
it's been you know women it's been black people it's been other people of religion you know other religions it's maybe not a victim but an antagonist i think a victim immigrants gay people i mean someone that you can just hang all your uh scapegoat yeah scapegoat Mm -hmm. but but what's the purpose of that so that so that that those who aren't feel better about their themselves I have no idea. It has not served us very well. I mean, right. shaming, harming, victimizing someone exp- is is not the Christian way. It's certainly not what Christ would want. I mean, he was a man of utter radical inclusion, bringing people in from the margins of society and healing and making them whole and helping them be seen and love for exactly who they were. Right. And one of the things that I just want to talk about really quick mm-hmm. about this is be- so the impetus of making fish out of water. My first film was because when I came out in college, like I also was re- leading the Bible study and I got a lot of flack from my friends who were like Christian conservatives. I went to Vanderbilt and that's what was down there. And so I started, you know, I'm a curious person. So I started going to different ministers around town and making appointments and being like, what does the Bible say? What's going on here? Like, am I going to hell? Because I don't feel like I'm a bad person. I actually feel like I'm a really good person. And Mm -hmm. they would sit with me and say, look, like this is all taken out of context. You have to look at the the Roman, you know, and some of the original languages in which this was, you know, um, and translated and retranslated and retranscribed in the word homosexuality was not even coined until about a hundred years ago. What they were talking about back then was, you know, uh, male temple prostitution, ownership of women. You couldn't own a man, you know, all sorts of different things. It was not talking to uh, or referencing um, loving someone of the same gender. That was just not even conceived of that. That would be a possibility. And if we look at, you know, Jesus didn't say, anything about some of the issues we have today, nuclear warheads, right? Uh, nothing about uh, same-sex relationships and homosexuality or, you know, tr- being trans or non-binary, anything like that. But we can infer, infer from what Jesus did talk about what he'd say. And right. m- many of these ministers were saying, you know, he would judge a relationship based on the fruits of the, you know, the marriage or the relationship, not on the genitals of the partner, are you loyal? Are you loving? Are you thoughtful? Do you care about people? Do you make a difference in your world? Do you care about community? Do you as a per- person like love and forgive and care for others? Not what genital does your partner have? Right. And his final commandment was love each other. Yeah. Yeah. Unless they're the same sex. Yeah. Nope. Just love each other. I... I I almost look at it as he just threw his hands out. Yeah. And it's like, all my rules, you guys are such idiots. Just, can we just basic it down for you Yeah, people? yeah. Just love each other because you're driving me crazy. Yeah. Right, and that's where we've come so far from that. And, I mean, that should be our number one thing. You know, when, it were, when working on Show Her the Money, my current film, mm-hmm. you know, I, I looked a lot about, like, how power has becomes in such a way that men control most of the money, most of the capital, 98% of the investment capital going to women. And I read this wonderful book called Cassandra Speaks, and it talked about how how men have done power for millennia. And a lot of it's about fear. It's about leaving out. It's about dominating. And women have kind of felt the need to like try to mimic that power to fit in. And this book was like, no, women do power your way, which is like, it is emotional. It's thoughtful. It's empathetic. It's talking. It's bringing people to the table. It's affirming people. It's not being afraid to include. Don't women fit into this role of power that men have defined? Like do it our own way and try to be role models in that way. And hopefully men will start to talk and communicate and soften because that softness is not a problem. I think we need that right now. Mm-hmm. Okay, so all these movies are going to make you a lot of money. I hope so. Wow, that'd be great. Do you want to continue <laughs> in documentary films? Do you want to do features, like fictional fi- features? Look, I, I just directed my first narrative. It's a short, though, and that's coming out. And, you know, I, I like directing narratives. That's fine, but I love documentaries. I love it. I mean, I'm a nerd. I love diving into an entire topic, becoming an expert in that world, like mm-hmm. becoming uh, close to this to the topics at hand, working to change something, working to inform a populace of something. I mean, there's I just love it. I love it. <laughs> and I kind of feel like Netflix has helped documentaries a lot. 
that that yeah. there wasn't real like maybe there was PBS before Netflix maybe yes, a little bit on sure. HBO yeah. but it was just a trickle of of films that would come out over there yeah do you feel the same way I do feel the same way and you know a lot of that was based on true crime projects of mm-hmm. course and HBO also has great docs but yeah I mean incredible docu series have put documentary make, filmmaking on the map I think at HBO and Netflix have just given people access to it in a way where before you maybe had to go to like the art house theater and you know you know like the music box in Chicago or something and and now you can just click on your tv and watch it and I think you have this dream house you've got the the wife and kids these two cats (laughs) I, I kind of want to give away my cats because they're not as well-behaved as these two. They're fun. What kind did you say these were? These are Devon Rexes. Devon Rexes. Yeah. Did you know about this breed before you had them? Um, I've always had like people in my family who are allergic to cats. Um, I love dogs, but with as much as I travel, I just can't leave a dog with my wife and kids. It's just, like too much work. So yeah. I've always wanted cats, but it was really hard because of allergies. And then... I was introduced to a Devon Rex somewhere. I think at a location scout at some point. It was the most fun, playful cat I've ever met. They yeah. are hypoallergenic. And so you don't really have those same allergies around them. They're kind of like dogs. They come when they're called. They yeah. snuggle with you. They play. They play fetch. And I'm in love with them. Yeah. The short hair, is that all year round? It's all year round. So they don't really even shed that much. They don't know. Not at all. No hairballs. No hairballs. They <gasps> almost never cough up a hairball. Oh, my God. Yeah. Every morning before I feed my cats, I do a quick tour to see if there's any treasures waiting for me. Yeah. You never have those. Never have a hairball. Maybe once a year. Okay. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. It's great. So what what I'm saying with with all your success, for the next generation of documentary filmmakers, do you recommend film school? Uh, I have a radical thought on this. I mean, if you have the money and the time and you can carry that debt, yeah, go to film school, learn those tools, make some contacts that you'll go through the industry with. If you don't have the money or you just have a little bit of money, make a movie. The only reason I was able to get to where I am is because I made stuff. Mm. I mean, with Fish Out of Water, I did not know what I was doing. I had total imposter complex, but I knew the story I wanted to tell. I knew I wanted to tell the story. And my best friend and I threw costume parties. Kristen Casa in Chicago, big, fun. Uh, now she's a, a, you know, a big time event planner, but we just do ho- ho- uh, p- parties at the Holiday Club. 350, 750, 850, whatever it was we got a night, like I would fund my next trip. And I did it all by myself pretty much. I would have my friends come carry the mic. Well, I didn't know what I was doing, but that movie <laughs> did great. And then I learned, I learned what I was doing. And then the next movie was like so much more elevated. Mm-hmm. And then the next one was even more elevated, you know? And like after Fish Out of Water, I started directing TV commercials. Um, that became easy, I think, because I knew how to edit. Like I'd always, I started out as an editor. But now, you know, yes, I think I'm at a, you know, a, a place in my per- career where I'm really proud of as far as both my TV commercial directing as well as my documentary directing, I did not go to film school, you know, and, and you can learn it just by doing it. You're as good as your real, you're as good as your idea mm-hmm. and you will do it if you've got the passion and the grit and you don't give up. Like no one's going to do it but you. You have to be that engine, just constantly the engine and you'll get there. Well, thank you so much for having <laughs> me here. Thank you. We can see your your next movie Show her the money. Show her the money. Uh, who who's distributing this? Who who are you attached with? Uh, so right now we have we're in talks right now with where it's going to land. Okay. So we have not settled on a distributor yet. Right so now, it's truly indie right now. Yeah, it's truly indie right now. There's a big group of EPs who've made a you know raised a lot of money. Like I said, over a million dollars. It's going through its whole four year consideration for best documentary campaign. Mm-hmm. It's being released theatrically. We've got billboards out. Like it's it's fun. And we're waiting to figure out who the best partner would be for the next step. Like, should they follow you on Twitter? Like, what yeah, you? follow me on Twitter, Instagram at Kai Dickens, okay. um, which is K Y K Y. Is that were you born K Y? No, I was born Christine. 
Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. Christine Dickens. And uh, it became a nickname. One, partly because I hated... Sorry, I'm like bleeding right now. I just scratched my face. Um, <laughs> Who among us isn't? Okay. Um, so, no, my name is uh, K.Y. Dickens. I started off as Christine. There's a lot of Christy, Chrissy's, all that stuff. Yeah. And at a sleepover, I think, it was like, oh, I, I can be... We drop off the R.I.S.T. and it's K.Y. instead of Christy, which was my nickname in like fourth grade. Yeah. I think also I was kind of a tomboy and I hated like... I wanted a more gender neutral name and Kai works. Yeah. So Kai has been my name for decades now. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much, Kai, for having Thank us you. here. And we will follow you on Twitter. We'll go down to Santa Monica <laughs> to that Lemley. I think there's a really nice restaurant right next to it. Yeah, there's too. great restaurants over there. And um, we'll be rooting for you. Thank you so much. Right. Appreciate it. How great was Kai? You know who we ESP with and say, oh my God, thank you so much for everything. Our Patreons. When you stoke us, you're saying, Tony, these 10 bucks would probably do you real good like. So shout out to our Patreons, Nancy Rommelman, Sean Atlow, Matt Mills, Sean Wallace, Greg and Molly, Jamie Taylor, Mark Johnson, Kira Ann, Barney Granke, Ben Welch, Jen Adams, Trevor Wilson, Bree Wild, Dougie Gyro, Christina Up North, Robin Carey, Adam Shorn, Ben from Down Under, Chris from the ATX, Gregor, and Phil. Be a Patreon, just go to patreon.com slash here in LA and hurt yourself giving. Want to support us, but the engine light just went on in your bends and you ain't had steady work in a little while? Hmm, you can still help. Post your favorite episode on your Facebook. Start with this one. Just share from our Facebook group and say, listen to this incredible female director. Tweet this link on your Twitter or on your threads. Put it on your live journal for all I care, but tell your friends. Tell them how Here in L.A. is spelled, and that it's on Apple Podcasts and Google and even YouTube. Here in L.A. is produced by myself, Tony Pierce. Music supervision by Jordan Katz. Songs by Oregon and Jordan Katz. Special thanks to Cindy for creating the logo, Steve Rohr for introducing us to Kai, Jen for inspiring this, and idealistic filmmakers everywhere who dig deep to show us something new, even if a huge payday isn't on the other side. 